How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Eucalypt Speed Test Intelligence Data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023. Enjoy a tall, cool dude. What is this? What, what are we doing? What in God's name are we doing? What? Our lives. What, what kind of lives are these? We're like children. We're not men. No, we're not. We're not men. It's the nightcap. Are we going to be sitting here when we're 60 like two idiots? We should be having dinner with our sons when we're 60. We're pathetic. You know that? Yeah, like I don't know that I'm pathetic. On WGR Sports Radio 550. So then you asked yourselves, isn't there something more to life? Yes. Yeah, well, let me clue you in on something. There isn't. Gotta love the uh, opens that survived from the Ryan Gates era of the nightcap here because it says tall dude in there, which I will readily admit, not tall, but whatever. It's the nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Full show tonight going up until 9 o'clock. Plenty of hockey in the first hour here. Plenty of bills probably coming in your way in the 8 o'clock hour. A lot of candy talk too. If you've heard my past shows, I am... It's a subject that I care deeply about, and with Halloween being tomorrow, it's the perfect time of year, and I don't have a show tomorrow, so because we'll have Thursday Night Football. So it's the perfect time to get into it. So for some Sabres talk, for maybe some candy talk as well, I'm going to bring Matt Beauvais from WKBW right on here at the top of the show. And Matt is on his way home after uh, a day that included a candy draft, the third annual candy draft, correct, at WKBW. Yeah, so we have expanded our draft horizons now. So we have our candy draft, which we do for Halloween. Right. And we have the Thanksgiving food draft, which I know you guys also do over yep. at VR. Mm-hmm. And we also have a Christmas movie draft. Ooh, Christmas movie draft. That's actually funny. I was actually just talking about Christmas movies with someone today. Um, maybe for another time, because that's also an interesting topic to me. Um, we'll get into some sabers in a second here, but i got to ask. You had the third third overall pick in this draft. Yeah. I was very impressed with your selection. You went Kit Kat. Wouldn't have been my choice. I would have went Twix, but Kit Kat would have been right there at the top of my board. Now, let me ask you this question, though. Reese's goes number one overall. If you have the number yeah. one overall pick in this draft, what are you taking in a candy draft? I, okay, so first off, you literally just voiced out the debate that I had in my head between going Twix and Kit Kat. Okay. I went... I went Kit Kat, but Twix was the other option for me there. However, if I have the first pick, I know you're not a huge fan. I am not. 100 times taking Reese's. Ugh. No questions asked. I think it's the best candy. I don't get sick of eating them. I think it's the perfect Halloween candy. I will, I will readily admit that I know I'm in the minority here. I know that like, if I am in a candy draft, if, if we have one coming up or something, and I have the first pick, I, I'm, this is kind of where I'm at with it. I understand that it deserves to go number one. I'm just not going to do it. So I'm going to want to trade down if that's even legal uh, to do it there. So not my favorite. I know you said you take Reese's, but isn't it? I, I don't even want, maybe I shouldn't go into it because what, what, what argument am I going to make? If you like Reese's, you like Reese's. But I'll say yeah. this. If I'm going to a vending machine or I'm going into my Halloween candy bag as a kid, the first thing I'm taking out, if, I, if I'm if I'm never picking a Reese's in a vending machine, and I'm never eating that first out of a candy bag. Just just me. So 
I think that Reese's are a better. First off, the Reese's egg at Easter time is Ooh. better than a regular Reese's. Oh, totally agree. Totally agree. I I agree with you. Like, I can't believe we're talking about this. I agree with <laughs> you that if you're going to a vending machine, you're not going to get it because usually there's only two of them, and that's only mm. a couple bites. And if you're going to get candy, you want it to last a little bit longer. So I would probably get like peanut M and M's if I was going to go to a vending machine yes. to get candy. Good choice for something like that. So yeah, I, but I also I respect that you're staying. You know. You're standing on your mountain and you're not backing down. I, I want it, yeah. If I'm going to eat a Reese's, I want it refrigerated. Like, that's just me, personally. That That's some people with uh, with other candies as well. All right, before we get into the Sabres, a couple more questions on this. Loved your yeah. second-round pick, peanut butter M&M's. To me, the number one M&M, um, although caramel M&M's, a quick riser on, uh, on my board. It's, it's, a, it's a newcomer. Um, peanut yeah. M&M's, Sour Patch Kids, Take 5. Was there anything that you didn't get that you felt like you really wanted it? Well, besides the Reese's, no, not really. Um, I actually asked this, so we do the draft on Facebook Live so people can watch and everything. I love Coffee Crisp bars, and they're much yep. more popular over in Canada. And I also love Aero bars. Yes. And I wanted to draft them, but because it's a Halloween draft, we kind of made the point, like, you're not going to get that walking around Western New York for Halloween. So we didn't include them. So mm-hmm. I didn't miss out on them. But those are also two candies that I think are really, really good. That's that. That's fair. I I did a. Uh, if if you don't follow me on Twitter at Sneaky Joe WGR, I put out a list of my most overrated and underrated candies, and I had Toblerone on there for underrated candy. And like that's a good point. Like you're never getting a Toblerone, for instance, in your Halloween bag. If you are, I'm very impressed with that house. Um, yeah. Yeah. But anyways, um, I, I'm declaring you the winner. I like your team a lot. And uh, Thank what, you. Did that one more one more question on this. So you took take five in the fourth round. Was was yeah. there anything else in consideration? Maybe that you thought should have been drafted by anybody that went undrafted. Uh, Three Musketeers, I think, is a pretty safe like candy bar. But oh, that's right. So I didn't much. even notice that one undrafted. Yeah. Not so much that like it needed to be drafted. I am a big peanut butter guy, which is why I went with the take five and. You know, the peanut M&Ms and everything. So, no, I don't think there was anything that was, like, egregious. A couple people, you know, commented that we're idiots and that there's a ton of things that we left off the board. And that's kind of why why it's so fun, because everyone has an opinion. Like, I would have never drafted, like, a Heath bar. Somebody did. I would have never drafted a York peppermint patty. I'm like, why would you waste your time with that? Terrible. But to some people, they love those. So they they can love them, and I'll have the other good stuff. You got to know your competition too, though. Like, if you're gonna take a York peppermint patty, save it to your last pick. Um, although, I, I, that's not true. That's not. Not everybody doesn't like uh, York peppermint patties. I guess I was just never gonna draft that. So same thing with me there. All right, let's get into a little bit of hockey. We got a couple minutes here with Matt Bove from WKBW and Brandon Montour. Uh, I think the last time we spoke maybe was on a Saturday a couple of weeks ago, and kind of we we're existing in the same roster right now up until this moment. It's been basically the same blue line, basically the same defense yeah. pairings, except John Gilmore comes in for Marco Scandella because of injury. Now here comes Montour skating with Rasmus Dahlin. What's your inclination? What's your thought process? And if he comes back on Friday, what the blue line's going to look like? Maybe who comes out? Well, I don't think he's going to come back on Friday just because Kruger kind of said that it's doubtful at this point that he'll play this weekend, Mm -hmm. or at least in the first game. Now, that could change, and I wasn't there at practice today. I was at Bill's practice, so I didn't hear him say that myself, Mm -hmm. but I did see that he said he was doubtful. If he was able to come back, then I would imagine you just sit Gilmore, even though I've been pretty impressed with how Gilmore has played, and you just reshuffle it. 
And obviously, Scandella was playing really good hockey, and he did not deserve to be sat if Montour came back, even though he would have probably been the likely option before the season. So you're kind of buying yourself a little bit of time here with Scandella's sideline, and maybe that will give Jason Bottrell a chance to wheel and deal a bit. But I think you just sit Gilmore until Scandella is ready to come back, and then once Scandella comes back, then you probably have to make a trade because you need to save a little bit of money, and you also don't want to be sitting one of those guys who is who have been playing pretty well. Right. Um, how about the team overall? Since we last spoke a couple weeks ago, it, it's not too far into the season. I mean, it's not, it's only a few, like maybe 10 more games since we've spoken. Yeah. Um, but any more, are you any further along in thinking, hey, this team could actually be a playoff team this season? I've leveled off a bit. I still think that they are much improved, and I'm impressed with some of the things that I've seen. It's also impressive that they've played a couple hockey games where I haven't thought they've looked very well, and they've still been able to win. I don't think I'm ready to for sure say, like, hey, this is a playoff team. It'll be a huge disappointment if they miss the playoffs. But I'm definitely trending in the direction that, like, there's no reason why this team can't be playing meaningful games in March and April and still sneak in, especially with some of the surprises that we've seen around the league. I think Toronto's going to start playing better. Mm -hmm. I'm very confident that Tampa Bay will start playing better. The Sabres still have a really, really tough slate of games. Like, if you look at the first 13 games played, they have. They haven't played any of what I would consider the elite teams in the NHL yet. So, you know, Washington will be a huge test on Friday. But, no, I mean, how can you be mad at 9-2-2, right? They've played really, really solid hockey. And I think we do have to remember, you know, they were the 27th team in the NHL last year. Just to be in this position is much farther along than I think we would have ever thought a month ago. Right. One team you didn't even mention there, Florida, just had an eight-game point streak broken. Although I do think they had four overtime losses in that eight-game point streak, so it's a little misleading maybe um, where they are in the standings. Um, what Actually, you said you were at Bill's practice, so let, let me let me throw Bill's question in here. What what did you yeah. make of uh, Sean McDermott's comments, which I, which I thought were very interesting today, uh, talking about some of the irresponsible decisions that maybe have happened with the team in the past? I loved it because it was a little bit petty and it was a little bit of shade, and I appreciate that. That doesn't mean you have to agree with it or disagree with it, but I do think that they have spent a lot of time, Brandon Mean and Sean McDermott, and they would talk about it as much as they could because they wanted to get their point across, that they were put in a bad financial situation by past you know, regimes, essentially Doug Whaley and Rex Ryan and that staff. So they mm-hmm. feel like they have finally cleaned it up, and every year – especially for these last two years, there's one of those lists that comes out with the most salary cap space and the bills are always at the top of the list. And they're going to have some guys that need to get paid, but they're also going to have some extra money to go out and try and sign some players. And they had that money this summer and it's not like they were just, you know, frivolous with it and they spent a ton of money. So I understand the point where he's coming from. And I was pretty surprised, quite frankly, that he said it in the way he did, but I agree with him in a little, in you know, to a certain extent, and I don't always agree with Sean, so I guess that's saying mm-hmm. something. Matt Beauvais on the Western Hotline. Um, uh, before I let you go, Matt, the uh, it is National Candy Corn Day. I forgot to throw this in with the candy questions I had at the beginning here. It's National Candy right. Corn Day. General thoughts on candy corn. Most people I find are either uh, the very, very different ends of the spectrum. I feel like people either love it or hate it. I I don't really have an opinion on it. I don't eat it because I think it's kind of gross. So I guess that would. So I guess me that would mean that. you hate it. <laughs> yeah, I guess that would put. I guess that would put me in the hate camp. But like, <laughs> I've never really given it a shot either because I just yeah. know I'm not going to like it. You know, like how you can be at like, you know, your grandmother's house or something, and they have yeah. like the little dishes out with like those stupid little wax pumpkin things that are 
Like, I, I just don't think those are good. So I guess I would say they're bad because, yeah, I don't ever eat them. I think my grandma was more of the the, the butterscotch hard candies uh, in the middle of the table. Th- those were probably oh. the uh, the good. Those are okay. That's not bad. The butterscotch candies. You're not oh, getting yeah, I'll take the, those and cream savers are like great, Ooh. like grandparent house candies. Yes, that's that's that that's a good one. That's a good one. I'm glad you brought that up. All right, Matt. Thanks for jumping on with me here uh, again. I think you were the winner of this candy draft. So good job, and uh, look at, look forward to the next conversation. All right, have a good rest of your week, man. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks, man. There's Matt Beauvais on the West Her Hotline. Kit Kat at three. I got some more candy hot takes, but I'll save those for later in the show. Let's get back to business here. Sabres and Bills. There's a buzzer there. Sabres and Bills, both on the docket here. Start with some hockey. Uh, I want to get into football in the later portion of the show. And I asked Matt there about Brandon Montour and possibly going back in. He seems to think it's not going to happen. I know Paul Hamilton thinks it is going to happen, so maybe it's uh, questionable at best on whether he will play on Friday or play this weekend. Um, but that, this is kind of where I'm at with the Sabres right now on the blue line. And if you want to chime in on this, feel free at 803-0550 or, by the way, on the text line at 55550. Read through some texts or on Twitter at SneakyJoeWGR. The, um, the way the blue line is set up right now, Matt, 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 good point. Like it's pretty easy right now to see what's going to happen if Montour comes back on a short-term basis, um, or in in the near future. Gilmore comes out. That's easy. That's going to happen. So, because he's been an extra all year anyway, he's played he's played well. I've kind of liked Gilmore. Um, another NHL defenseman. The Sabers have they have fifteen of them. Um, but here's another. Montour is good. Montour is legitimately good. I believe he's their best right shot defenseman. I love the idea of putting him with Donalene. That's what I wanted to see coming into the year. I'm pretty happy that that's the pairing that Montour is on when he's right coming back here uh, to practice. But who comes out? That's going to be a really interesting question for me on that right side. Someone either, and this is probably what happens, I would imagine someone plays on their offside. If this is, by the way, assuming no one gets traded. So let's say Ristolainen doesn't get traded, which hasn't happened yet. So there's no reason to think it's going to happen in the next few days. Let's say Montour comes back, Ristolainen's still here, you've got Yoki Haru, and you've got Colin Miller. Those are all right shot defensemen. What do you do with all of them? Now, ideally, and this is kind of what I would guess Ralph Kruger is going to end up doing, you move one of those right shot defensemen to the left side. Just play your best six. Worry about the sides after the fact. Is Yoki Haru on his offside better than Scandella? To me, that answer is yes. And a small part of me, if we had a different head coach in place right now, maybe I'd be more worried about this, but I just don't want to see Yoki Haru benched at all. Because that's the easy thing to do. A lot of times when you have a surplus at a position, the guys that go into the lineup or at least get the first crack at it when everyone's healthy are the veterans slash highly paid guys. That's Scandella. That's Bogosian. I know he's not really that close right now to returning, it seems. That's Ristolainen. It's McCabe. It's Colin Miller. The veterans. I'm not advocating taking Colin Miller out, but... Yoki Haru, the way he has played, makes me question why he's not playing more. And that 
microscopically maybe makes me a little worried that he would be the guy they would take out. And I hope that wouldn't be the case. But I've said this with the Bills a lot. Like with Sean McCoy, I made this point over the offseason. Actions can speak a lot louder than words in sports. And what are they doing right now with Yoki Haru? Who I think is legitimately good. I don't see any fans on social media ever criticizing him. He's playing well. The media, everyone in the media seems to think he's really good. The coaching staff, Kruger talks him up. We had Jason Botcherill on our airwaves um, on Monday. He really likes Yoki Haru. Said that he's exceeded expectations. We actually played that back on the nightcap last night. Botcherill said that Yoki Haru has exceeded his expectations. So, the fans like him. Media likes him. Coaching staff likes him. The general manager likes him. Yet, for some reason, he's not. he has yet to play 18 minutes a night in a single game. In one game. And 18 minutes a night is not a very high number. He's not playing really any... Part of it is special teams. He doesn't really get the top penalty kill minutes. He doesn't really play in the power play. So that's part of it. But even his, his even strength ice time is near the bottom of their blue line, if not at the bottom, almost every single night. Why would that be? Part of it, sure, would be he's young. But... At some point, I think you have to look at yourself, you have to look at this player and say, yeah, he's young, yeah, he's a rookie, but he is he has been one of our best four defensemen. We need to start giving him some more minutes. What I would like to see, ideally, and this is before Montour comes back, what I would have liked to see the Sabres do already, one minor criticism I might have of Kruger so far, is that you could have you could take two to three minutes of Ristolainen's ice time, even strength. Bump him down from 25 to 22. And just give it to Yoki Haru. Get him up to like 19 minutes a night. 18. Which is still not that much. I think this kid is legitimately good. And a small part of me is worried he's the guy they would take out. Now, in reality, and Paul's made this point a lot, seemingly in the league, what generally happens is a guy comes back, someone's injured. It's very rare that you're going to be completely healthy at a position. And as we've seen, the Sabres are not completely healthy on the blue line. With Bogosian, Montour missing time, Pilot just came back this past week. He's playing in Rochester right now. But the Sabres are beyond deep at defense right now. They're beyond it. It's overkill. You don't need all these guys. You don't need this many defensemen. You don't need 13 NHL defensemen. And that might be the number. Off the top of my head, I think it's 13 guys that you could conceivably say, yeah, they could be NHL defensemen right now for you and play pretty well for you. There's so many guys. And, like, Rochester included. You got Pilot down there. Borgen has been up and down, just kind of in cap-related moves. But Borgen might be ready to play in the NHL, but he's so far down the depth chart, he's not going to get a chance. Casey Nelson is down in Rochester, and I don't think there's any rush to bring him up, but in a pinch... You could do a lot worse than Casey Nelson on a third pair. He's a puck-moving defenseman. Yeah, he's kind of lacking in the physical area of it, but he's capable too. And when we're talking about, oh, someone's always injured, and Botrell has talked about a couple times how you need to have this depth. You don't need to have this much depth. Think about Casey Nelson just as an example here for a second, and I'm not advocating they call up Casey Nelson and put him in the lineup. But... 
what he is, is a serviceable defenseman. Like, he should be like a seventh defenseman in the NHL to me. And if not, like the first guy called up from the AHL. Like, he is, he's pretty good. I think he's pretty good. His advanced numbers would say he's really good. I think he's been a little sheltered when he's been in the NHL. So I would bump him down a little bit and just say, yeah, he's, he's all right. He's pretty good. You are probably five injuries away on the blue line from him getting into the lineup. An entire defense core injured for a guy that can be an NHL defenseman to get in. At that point, it's overkill. And I don't want to say I think Jason Botcher is lying. I don't think he's lying. I think he's saying what he has to say. When he's talking about how you need this depth on the blue line. We want this depth on the blue line. In reality, I'd like to think he still wants to move a defenseman. If not two, or even three. Three might be too much, but two would be a nice number here. I still want to believe that they're not just content to have this many defensemen. When you've got some holes in your top six, the fact that Sabotka's playing in your top six, he's played better. Like I, I'm the biggest Sabotka critic probably ever. I mean, I've, been yell- I've been yelling about him all season. But I'll acknowledge he's playing he's playing well for what he is. Doesn't mean he should be in the top six, though. So that you can upgrade there. You could add another scoring winger. So take some of that value that you can't use on the blue line because you can't use it all and try to turn it into another good scoring winger that you can put in your top six and play with Jeff Skinner and Marcus Johansson because even though I think Sabotka is playing better this year he still is a non-factor in the offensive end I mean look at all of these nice plays that Johansson and Skinner have made this season this one against Arizona last game is a great goal Skinner who was not much of a puck carrier last year because he didn't really have to be because Eichel is generally that guy in the top line. Skinner enters the zone, has the wherewithal to see Johansson coming behind him, drops it to him, and then opens himself up to the right for a shot. And Johansson puts it right on the tape because he's a really good playmaker, he's a really good passer, and Skinner's a great finisher, and it's a in turn, it's a great-looking goal. And that combo of Johansson and Skinner, which I've really liked this year and I think most people have really liked, They've had a couple of plays like that. And it's always, almost always without Sabotka involved. Like, they just do it on their own. So, it's no longer, I guess, a dire need to replace Sabotka on that second line. But, I think with Montour coming back, what it signals to me is, all right, now is really the time try a little harder maybe or maybe have a little bit more urgency to move a defenseman for another top six winger throw in a pick and I know it might not be this simple because honestly even in my own head right now part of me is telling myself if that trade was available to the Sabres they would have made it like I'll get calls I'm sure tonight and I've gotten them in the past let's trade Ristolainen for a second line center I think everybody would sign up for that right now. Almost everybody. A lot, at least. Maybe that's a poll. We'll find... I don't know. I think if that deal were out there, I think the Sabres would have, t- would have had it. I think it would have been done. Like, if Ryan Nugent Hopkins, who we haven't really mentioned in months, because that just seems like a foreign concept now, that you could get him for Rasmus Ristolainen. If that guy was available, 
that trade would be done. It would be. If you could get the same package, I guess, that uh, that Carolina was going to get for Justin Falk from Anaheim, if you can get Andre Cache, a good young forward, plus some other stuff, I think that deal's done already. So, and in one aspect, I appreciate the Botros waited this long to not trade a defenseman because he rushed the Ryan O'Reilly deal and they lost it. And so far, they've lost it bad. So, part of me does really appreciate that they didn't rush a Ristolani trade. They didn't feel the need, they didn't feel like they had to move him. Because they didn't have to move him. Because he's entered the season this year, he's played better. I still don't think he's worth, he's not playing up to the level where he should be playing 25 minutes, but he's played better. But now, you're in the midst of the season, you're good, and now guys are getting healthy. So now might be the best time. If you want to continue to give these young guys ice time like Yoki Haru, and hey, if you want to see Pilot at some point this season, you're going to have to trade someone probably. Because even he's probably three injuries away from getting in. Now's the time to move a guy. And I'm hopeful that, in the very least, that Elliot Friedman report from last week that Scandella could be the guy they move will be something that happens relatively soon. 803-0550 is the phone number. Any thoughts on the Sabres? Who should come out if Montour goes back in? And the overall status of the team, 9-2-2. Two, two. How big a believer are you in this team right now? It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. We'll get into some football as well in the second hour here on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. little candy talk in the first segment. As well as some Sabres and Bills with Matt Bovave, WKBW. The Sabres blue line. What do you think? Who comes out? I'm in on Scandella being the guy if everyone's healthy that's moved, traded. It's just too many guys here. One, one point that I just made in the first segment that I just think is so true and really just highlights that the depth is almost overkill at this point is that Casey Nelson is literally like five injuries away from play, having to play in your lineup. And again, I don't need him in my lineup, but you don't need to have a guy that buried in your organization. You don't need to be that deep. So, and he, that might even not even be enough. Think about it right now. You've got three guys that have been missing time. Pilot, Bogosian, Montour. And they've had the defenseman they've had. If they lost another guy... Let's say Montour's still not ready to come back. They lost another... Gilmore's in the lineup right now. Say they lose another guy. Who goes in? Borgen? Then they lose another guy. Pilot? Then who? they lose another guy. Then maybe you get to Nelson. So maybe that's six. Maybe he would, you would need an entire defense core worth of injuries to get to a guy who's an NHL defenseman to me being in your lineup. That's when you know you just have... You don't need all of that. You don't need it all. But I think the Sabres know that deep down. I think that they would like to make a trade if they could, including uh, maybe Scandell is the name right now that would be most likely. 803-0550 is the phone number. Our first interview of the day goes to Ralph Kruger. He was on with Howard and Jeremy this morning, per usual. Actually, Howard and Sal. It was Sal in uh, on the morning show today. Here is the Sabres head coach making his weekly Wednesday morning visit with the guys. And we are joined by the head coach of the Buffalo Sabres on our Western Hotline. Ralph, it's Howard and Sal in this morning for Jeremy. Thanks for coming on with us. Good morning, sir. 
Good morning. How's everybody? You're nine two and two, Ralph. You keep this up. I'm in a good mood. You know, it's very simple formula. You win. Talk show hosts are happy. It's really very simple. <laughs> yeah, no, we've had, we've had a, a good month. It was a month of confirmation how we want to play, and a month of learning and growing. And now it's important that we uh, continue on that path. Small picture. Try and get better every day, but. Definitely pleased with the effort uh, thus far in October, that's for sure. You mentioned confirmation. Maybe that's a good place to start. Jason Bottrell was on our station the other day with our afternoon guys, Ralph, and their first question was, it was funny, it's simple, but it's sure. They said, is your team good? And, and basically, how can you tell? So I thought, you know what, I'm going to ask the head coach that. Is your team good at night when you're alone with your thoughts and you think, huh, you know what? These guys are good. How would you be able to tell from a coaching standpoint if your team is good? Well, we, we would have to define good, first of all. And uh, for, for me, it begins with the, with the commitment to a plan and the buy-in that the team brings. Because a good team for me is a team that's playing and working towards its potential, whatever that potential may be. And we're still certainly too early into the season to understand or to see what the potential is. You have to, I, I, you know, I think when you're 20, 25 games in, you've got a, a better read than now, but we're on the right track to be able to assess that. And I would say that the, you know, the commitment's outstanding, the attitude here since September 13th from the first ice, ice practice through to everything we're doing on and off the ice, the, the way the communication needs to happen in a good team, environment it's it's all there so we're excited we're having fun uh, this group is is hungry to continue to improve and with that you know with that focus I, I, you know from my definition of good i would have to give you a check mark there coach your team has played 13 games only what five teams in the league have played as many games how do you think that's impacted them as a group? And, you know, how do you have to massage things as far as practice, their schedule, and things like that? Well, 13 and 24 to start the season, we all, we all looked at that with some uh, serious respect and we're wondering how, how we were going to manage that. And I'm so pleased with the work off the ice that the players have been doing and how we've been able to leave out quite a few normal ice practices, whether it's on pregame days or other days where we needed to do things off ice to keep our minds and bodies fresh. And we learned how to manage that. We knew it was coming at us and we know it's coming at us again after the Sweden trip. And uh, I, I thought the group has managed it very well, the energy and the focus. And we, you know, to be able to win twice off back-to-backs in tough situations in San Jose and in Detroit, um, there, there, there's some, there's a lot of things you have to like with how, how we were able to handle the pace. And now, you know, with four games and a longer stretch of time, you know, we, we have a different challenge and it's, it's a challenge of remaining focused and staying on topic. And, uh, I believe the extra spaces that we have now between games will help to, to really bring a lot of energy into them. But, you know, with this first stretch, of 13 and 24, we have to be pleased with uh, with the con- you know the constant and continuous effort of the guys. You have uh, you mentioned the stretch you're in now, so you got like two games in in 11 days, I think it is, before you go and play the two games in Sweden. Um, how do you approach this? Do you have lots of practice time? Do you do you look at it as a, a mini training camp, or do you, do you what do you do when you have a very 
a small number of games in a two-week stretch. Well, above all, we're we're able to do do a little bit more lifting off the ice because uh, you know the the power lifting that we're doing in the gym and our high performance team loves this kind of a space so we can we can add some strength to what will be a you know a hard run through November into December and I think that uh, that that's 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 one of the major opportunities that we have on the ice. We're going to continue to keep the picture small. I mean, today we're coming off a day off, which has been rare, and it's it's important that we work on some fundamentals. And uh, and with the back-to-back coming at us this weekend, there's not really a lull until you get into Sweden. But, yeah, the practice times will be wonderful for us to be able to work on some systems and uh, concept principles. We'll be able to uh, get some of our... Our, our um, you know, we're looking at Brandon Montour re-entering into the team. You know, Scandala should be back in the next few few games, and uh, you know, we're we're going to have some increased competition, uh, whether it's on defense or up front. We continue to have a tight competition for the roles, so lots of good things to work on. But overall, I would say the most uh, opportunity will be off ice actually to increase our strength and uh, and and fitness and some of the preventative work we're doing there. I was thinking about what to do with my free nights since there aren't as many Sabre games to watch, uh, Ralph. Uh, Powerlifting was not on the list, but I'll, I'll take it under advisement. Um, you know, I, I did. An opportunity. Yeah. yeah, sure. I was, you know, unless this, if lifting donuts is considered powerlifting, then yeah, just check that box. You know, I did want to ask you about injuries. Uh, so, yeah, Scandella and VC. let's start there. What's going on with both of them at this point? Well, they're, they're uh, uh, I mean, they're, there's, there's re-entries here, and uh, both you know, VZ for sure is very close to re-entry here, and I, I would say Scandala is still uh, a few days away. But uh, we're we're happy with the with the progression. They're both short-term, and um, you know, with uh, once again getting getting uh, getting a full healthy group back helps us a lot with uh, with what's coming up in November. And you mentioned Montour. Would he be ready to play this weekend? Brandon is close, so we'll see how the next two days go, and we'll make a call on that on, on Friday. Once that happens, you are going to have, you know, you have a plethora of defensemen you can choose from. You just talked about competition. How does that manifest itself? Um, you know, is it practice? Is it game performance as you go? Uh, I don't know, powerlifting? You know, who can squat more? I don't know, Coach. <laughs> how, how does it uh, manifest itself through that competition? Well, it's it's always multiple factors that come into effect. I mean, for sure, you look at the pairings and or lines, the way they need to be put together and the roles that we need to, to fill during the game. Uh, and, and uh, you know, individual performances will always be a, the, the major factor. We want, we want to get the, you know, the best possible squad together for the game and for the team. The opposition that we're playing will be, a, you know, we'll, 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 we'll play into it. So I, I would say there's multiple factors that come together, but usually – it's pretty clear on a day-to-day basis um, in the end with the, with the group that we think that 20 players that we need to give ourselves the best chance to win on the day is what we'll be doing. Ralph Kruger with us on our Western Hotline. There's some guys I want to ask you about, Ralph. Let's start with Rasmus Dahlin. Give, could you give us your opinion, your assessment of his play from center ice back into your zone at this point? Well, I mean that, that that's that's a pretty detailed assessment because there's a lot of things happening uh, in in our half of the ice. Uh, there's the there's the game with and there's the game without the puck, and we're you know he's a very young defenseman who's continuing to find the how he you know the best path for him to bring his amazing skill set into the game. He's committed to playing defense. He's committed to 
to finding his work. And, uh, you know, Steve Smith works with him on a daily basis in a very positive environment. He's a motivated kid with the puck. We all see the opportunity there and he's, uh, you know, he, he, he launches a lot of really good transition in our game. He'll, he'll jump into the play the way we like our D to do when we, when we do gain possession, uh, but but on on both sides of the puck, I can say improvement is is a word that comes out every day, uh, weekly to weekly. We're excited with what we're seeing, and above all, I always speak about the person he is and the coachability that we feel uh, that we have working together with him. And uh, you know, it's it's uh, uh, you know, I'll say he's a fun fun kid to work with, and and there's still a lot of improvement, uh, which we all know uh, for a 19 year old, and it's going to be uh, it's going to be good to see that continue to grow. Sabres head coach Ralph Kruger will finish up that conversation after the break, and then i got a hot take on Candy Corn, too, that I want to get to before too much more time passes. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. Let's get back to Ralph Kruger before we get into lots of football in the second hour. World Series starts in uh, about 15 minutes, just uh, just over. Game 7 of the World Series, Nationals at Astros. That'll be over on our sister station, ESPN 1520, if you are uh, looking for that. So let's continue on here with the Sabres head coach. Here's Ralph Kruger. He um, he had a rough night in New York the other night, and I was curious. In the last couple of games, you've had him with Yoki Haru, and I was wondering... Uh, Yoki Haru has played really well, but he's a young defenseman too. Can can you give me any insight into when you're trying to figure out what to do or your defense pairings? Why Darlene with Yoki Haru at that point? Because it's worked out fine. Yeah, I mean we had a rough night as a team in in New York, and uh, again important was we rebounded and answered the, the bell in in Detroit. But uh, Yoki has has uh, been a, a very positive surprise in the season thus far. He's a, a excellent two way defenseman. He, uh, he he also is able to make a play under pressure and, uh, and and is extremely committed to his work without the puck and defensively. And you can see that he's got a little bit more experience under his belt. But, you know, together the two of them have been uh, have been exciting to watch. And, you know, we'll be we'll be moving in and out of different pairs and different lines through the mm-hmm. season. Nothing is is set in stone and uh, at the moment you know we felt Yoki was the right partner but we'll we'll reassess that as we head towards Washington. Can you just talk about your goaltending a little bit you know what, what you think you've gotten from uh, both Carter and Linus? Well first of all they're they're an excellent duo they're cheering for each other when they're not playing which which helps a lot in the, the you know the spirit and the team in in all the different areas has is, is been really high and the performances have been outstanding they're giving us a chance to win every night you know everybody you know, maybe you know there was a there was a lot of people looking at what what uh, what went in the other night, but you had to look at Hutz giving us a chance to win that game. We had multiple chances against Arizona to first of all pull away from them, and then even when the game was tight to actually win it because of the goaltending performance we got. And that's what they do for us on a daily basis. They they give us a chance to win. They've been solid. They they really work the puck well too, which helps on our offense of you know breakouts out of the zone and. Uh, uh, you know, Mike Bales has done an excellent job there with with the goalies, and that's uh, that's definitely a good duo, which is what you need in the NHL today. Coach, you know, seven uh, Saturday is seventies night down at QBank Center, right? I mean, you got anything? You're gonna, you're gonna be behind the bench in some sort of get up, uh, some disco leisure gear or something. I'm, I'm calling for bell a bottoms. Suit. What are you yeah. doing? Yeah, yeah. 
Well, I, I have to say that I, I, I didn't know that till now. So <laughs> I really, that, that's proof that I'm living into the day. You know, today my, my, uh, my day started with an hour with the coaches, then, it, then I, get a, I, I, I get to have some fun with you guys for, for, uh, for a stretch. And, and uh, you know, we'll deal with Saturday when it comes. But I'm a, I, I definitely love the 70s music. And um, that's, that's great information because... Uh, because that that's a decade that I grew up in, so not too many of our listeners probably can 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 say that. But uh, but thanks for, thanks for that heads up, guys. I'll try to come up with something. Yeah, I'll I'll, I'll be expecting the John Travolta Saturday Night Live and the, the walk white, into the, the arena. The walk into the arena. That's all yeah. we're asking. You know, we yeah. can get a little footage of that. I do, I do remember wearing some uh, very wide bottom pants and stripes <laughs> going down them in those in the seventies. <laughs> Uh, I better not pull those out for the game. I think the the generation of players that I'm coaching now might have a little problem with that. Although, although I do I do know they love listening to '70s music here, so uh, that that's very comforting that this generation has also understood the the depth of the music out of that that era. So you got you got to tell them, Ralph. Now you guys do you guys have a Gloria like the the equivalent of the Blues win a game and they played Gloria in the locker room? Do you have a song after wins? You know what I. Uh, I, um, I I can't even you know they they've been playing with a few different options there and okay. uh, they 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 were they were looking for something new this year so I'll let you guys know next week when okay. I uh, identify what that is. I heard after one of your wins I heard Bachman Turner Overdrive taking care of business and I honestly thought I wonder if that's like their song now. Yeah, I mean BTOs uh, also from Winnipeg, my hometown. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. So. Uh, so yeah, I I, uh, I I I saw them multiple times growing oh, wow. up as a kid. So hmm. it's um, it would definitely be a, a good band, you know, with with uh, Jason Botterill coming from Winnipeg too. Why not? <laughs> hey, before we let you go, somebody tweeted and asked us to ask you if your book is available in English. No, it actually in that day I was living in the German French world, so uh, it's it's available in German and French. I don't know how many copies there are out there, but uh, no, it is not available okay. in English. You might say get a few copies sold to Sabre fans if someone can translate. Google <laughs> Translate, folks. Google <laughs> Translate. We're okay. We have the internet these days. Ralph, Ralph thanks for coming on with us. Uh, congratulations yeah. on the start and continued success. Okay. Thank you. And uh, have, have, have a good weekend. And to all Sabres fans, let's, let's enjoy the Washington-New York Islanders games coming up and the 70s night here on Saturday That's night. Right. We know that. Sounds like fun. <laughs> okay. All right. Thanks, thanks Ralph. Guys. Okay, all right. Ralph Kruger care. joining Bye. us on the Western Hotline. There he is, Sabres head coach, Ralph Kruger. Guy just wants to keep talking. He just wants to keep going. Love it. Love coaches that want to say stuff. Speaking of that, McDermott said something today that I want to get into. Also, this uh, this candy corn. It's a hot take. I don't even know it's a hot take. But I'll get into that, too, in the next hour. Because it's Halloween tomorrow, and I'm a big candy guy, if you haven't noticed. At Matt Beauveon to basically talk about candy. Almost completely. Specifically. So... Let you know where I'm st- where I'm uh, where I'm standing here. It's the nightcap with Jody Biasi. 8030550 is the phone number. Get down the conversation here on WGR. It's the nightcap. Let's go! Who's the best guy up to thunder right now? It's 
let's go! What a pop! Oh, how she loves the Stanley Cup! Hockey man is what I am! Let's go! Listen, listen to what I say! Play that game the Canadian way! Hockey man is what I am! Let's go! It's the Nightcap on WGR Sports Radio 550. I kid you not. I had I had to turn my headphones off. <laughs> I've heard it before. It's an open on the show, but it's just excruciatingly bad. I just wasn't that wasn't ready for it. You got to prepare yourself for that open. Um, Don Cherry rapping. That's what that is. Welcome back to the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR on this Halloween Eve. I will have a brief show tomorrow before Thursday Night Football, which is... I don't actually know who Thursday Night Football is this week. It's usually on the board in here. It's not on. It's, no, it's not written up there. Um, I'm sure it's great. So you should definitely tune in tomorrow starting at 7.30. It is actually a good game. I, I said that... I completely said that sarcastically. It's good. Cardinals-Niners is good. I am intrigued with the Arizona Cardinals a lot. If they're one of their uh, cornerbacks hangs on to a gift interception from Matthew Stafford in the first game, that team's 500. And even since he dropped it, they're 3-4-1. They're probably not making the playoffs, but they're intriguing. They're exciting. Kyler Murray, I love watching him play. He is accurate. He is fast. He is like Darren Sproles running around there where he's he's not... He runs like Darren Sproles. Like he, he can just cut on a dime, these super quick steps, um, but he's also got an arm and he can throw, so, and he's accurate. So I like Kyler Murray a lot. I think the Cardinals are intriguing, and the Niners are unbeaten. So that's actually a pretty good uh, Thursday night football game, given what the, some of them have been the past. Like last week, we had Washington on there. And speaking of Washington, that's who the Bills play this upcoming Sunday. We'll hear a little from Craig Hoffman coming up uh, later in the hour, a little update on what's going on in D.C. with them. By the way, speaking of D.C., World Series is, is just getting starting in uh, about two minutes. That's over on ESPN 1520 if you are looking for that AM 1520. Sean McDermott with a very interesting comment, though, today, speaking on the Bills not making a move at the trade deadline and kind of a surprising comment. I mean, McDermott's not one to usually say something that becomes a topic of conversation, but definitely worth talking about what he said in response to a question about not making a deal at the deadline. Here was McDermott from earlier. Yeah, I think it says that I'm confident, that we are confident in the guys that we have, um, and we expect them to play well. And then, again, it, it also, to me, if there's not a responsible move for us to make, we're not going to make it. That's what we're here to do. That's There's been way too many years of irresponsible decision-making. Let's just put it that way. Now, when I heard that, my gut reaction wasn't that he was talking about previous regimes. My instinct actually thought, is he criticizing himself and Bean, that's what I first thought. But I don't think that's the case. I think you listen back to it, and I do think he's taking a shot at the previous regime. And I think there is reason, he would have reason, I think, to think that way. Given what they took over. Now, like Mike Schoep made the point earlier in the afternoon show that that 2014 team was good. And are they better than that yet? Really, I don't. It's hard for me to say yes to that right now. I I don't think I can. I think I'm. It's it's close. It's close for me. I do think this team right now is good. I don't think they're great. I don't think they're even as great as their record. But I think they've played good enough to where they deserve to be in a playoff spot. And that team back then in 2014 was, 
I also think good. Like they were nine and seven. They were able to pass. They had a great defense. Like they were good. They weren't great, but they were good with Kyle Orton. And have they surpassed that yet? No. But I also see McDermott and why he could think that and why he maybe even should think that. How challenging it must have been to do what you wanted to do with all the cap troubles that you came that you that you inherited and all of those those players you inherited like Marcel Darius and Sammy Watkins and they didn't have to get rid of those guys but and even though I disagree with getting rid of some of them I do think that you walk into a job and you want to do it your way and you want your own guys the setup the Bills had made it incredibly difficult I think to be able to get away from that like they had to make they had to make some some moves. They had to make some trades, obviously. Getting rid of Darius, taking some dead cap. Sammy Watkins, same thing. Ronald Darby. Tons of moves. So, I do think organizationally, they're in a better spot. They have more freedom to do things. Like, back when Doug Whaley was the GM, I remember thinking about free agency and the Bills not having a lot of cap space and seeing this list of free agents. Like, oh, I'd love to get this guy. There was a number one wide receiver. There was like a really good wide receiver that was becoming available, and I don't remember who it was. And maybe he didn't even end up coming available. Maybe it was Julio Jones. I don't remember. Maybe it was AJ Green. But I always remember thinking, like, the Bills didn't have the cap to do that. And now, like, they deserve some credit for where their cap is right now. Like, they have done a great job managing that cap. But they don't yet deserve the credit for being better, I think, than the previous team. They don't. They did make the playoffs, but... Andy Dalton doesn't make a 4th and 20 pass and you don't get in. 4th and 12. That's a number you should know. That's a number I should know. 4th and 12. Um, Is that even right? Yeah, it should be. So, they deserve some credit for being in a position for that to happen. But, what is the conversation like? How different do we view them right now if Dalton doesn't make that pass? To me, it is different. I think it would be different. Now, it wouldn't change how you think about this team this year, I don't think. But I'm not yet to a point where I legitimately think this team is great. That they're going to go win a playoff game. That they're going to be, and this is the, the, more, the bigger point for me, the more important thing. They've yet to convince me at least, and maybe they've convinced you, let me know if you think that. But they've yet to convince me that they're going to be good for a long time. That... For the next five, six years, they've got their coach, they've got their GM, they've got their quarterback, and they're going to be a competitor, a contender, playoff team every year, almost every year. They've yet to prove that, I think. Look at the the Bears. I hate comparing them to the Bears because everybody compares them to the Bears, and we do it all the time. But it's because they are very similar. And look what's happening with them right now. Last season, the Chicago Bears were great. They were great, right? 12-4. and Look at their record. They were tremendous. Best defense in football. A competent offense. Pretty good. Not a great offense, but a pretty good offense. Some good weapons. No elite players, but you have Allen Robinson and Trey Burton and Taylor Gabriel and Jordan Howard. And then there's Trubisky, second-year quarterback. You wanted him to improve, and he improved. He looked better. 
Was he great? Eh, probably not, but he's pretty good. That was the Bears last year. And I'm sure Bears fans, Bears media, people that cover the team, fans especially, would have thought, all right, here we go. We're in store with Matt Nagy and Mitch Trubisky. We are in store for a good long period of being a good team, of being a playoff team. And the next season, they stink. The very next season. Because where the Bears sit right now is at 3-4 and four and last in their division. So they're not terrible. I'm not saying that, but they've lost three in a row. They're last in their division. And the way things look right now, the way Trubisky's playing, he's taken, he's took a step back. They don't look like a team that's going to be a playoff team every single year. Not right now. Be hard to convince me of that. And I just want to say one other thing on this. At least one other thing. I just I don't think it's right when people assume that a player will get better, that a player will develop, that it's just it's gonna happen. It's going to get better, and that a lot of times is like the excuse making is for that. He's only in his second year. He's only playing his seventeenth game. I am in the camp where I feel, for the most part, like ninety percent of the time at least, a guy is what he is. He shows up. That's how good he is, for the most part. There can be some some subtle improvement. There can be some minor things that a guy gets better at. But is Josh Allen's never going to be Patrick Mahomes. He's never going to be Aaron Rodgers. He's never going to suddenly get become this naturally accurate passer. So this doesn't have to be. He doesn't have to be what he is right now. But I, the the more he plays, the less and less that I think he's just going to explode. That he's just going to take the league by storm. Because a lot of guys, a lot of the good young quarterbacks in football right now, the top two, and I know this is a high bar, but the top two, Mahomes and Deshaun Watson, they showed up and were great immediately. Immediately. They showed up, they were great. Look at even some of the older quarterbacks. If you want to go back an era, Aaron Rodgers, great right away. Russell Wilson, great right away. And there are some examples of guys that do take a big jump, like Jared Goff, who stunk in his first year, and then took his team to a Super Bowl, was really good. Now he's back to being kind of average, so that's kind of Goff for you. But for every Jared Goff, there's five Jameis Winstons. There's five Marcus Mariotas. There's five Ryan Tannehills. Five Andy Daltons. Joe Flacco's. There's more of them. And this isn't meant to be me saying I think Allen's shot or I think he's not the franchise quarterback or I think he's not the guy who's going to be here long term. I've been impressed with him this year. I have been. But I'm no longer thinking he's just going to explode. So... That has me questioning how good this team's going to be long-term. And that's the most important thing. That's what the Bears are. The Bears probably thought Trubisky would take another step forward this year. Instead, a step back. And they're 3-4 and four and last in their division. That could happen with the Bills. That could happen. So, to think that they're just automatically better than what the last regime was 
premature. In my opinion, that's premature. Because I do think that last regime with Doug Whaley and Rex Ryan, while you look at work ethic, you look at reckless decision-making with money, yeah, a lot of things to question. But if this really is result-oriented and you want to look at how good you truly are, they've yet to clear that bar. They might be working twice as hard to do it. They might be two times, five times smarter at it. McDermott and Bean. But it's only going to matter if you do actually clear the bar of Whaley and Rex. And what Whaley and Rex were, were 9-7. and seven, Almost made it. And relatively competitive in the other years. Like just a, a tad higher, a tad, tad better than what you'd been before. So, I'm still optimistic. The season is going well. I think they're going to clear that bar this year. I think they're going to make the playoffs. I think that they will have a good chance to win a playoff game, depending on who they play. If they played on the road at Baltimore right now, I probably would not pick them to win. If they played on the road in Indy, probably wouldn't pick them to win. Maybe Houston, though. Like I, you could, you could talk me into them winning a playoff game, even on Indy and uh, Baltimore. You could talk me into it. By the way, they would play Kansas City if the season ended today. Hopefully, that doesn't happen. Like, would you take that right now? I could tell. I sign on the dotted line. The Bills will make the playoffs, but they got to play the Chiefs at Arrowhead. Because then you can't talk me into them winning that game. I, there's no way. I think you're you're keeping up with that offense. They can't even keep up with the Eagles' offense. So, that's where I'm at. I think that McDermott and Bean have some reason and have good reason to believe that they're doing things better. But, at the same time, that doesn't mean that they should be locked in to their positions for the next 10 years. Because I think the jury should still be out. I do think the jury should still be out, even though the season is going as well uh, as it has gone so far, 5-2 and two on the year. And the schedule is so easy. I don't want to make excuses and, and say that's the only reason the Bills have been good this year. I mean, it is there. You can make that argument. But they're going to be... They're going to have a great record going into that Thanksgiving game. Like pe- People are going to sit down for Thanksgiving all across the country... On November 28th. And they're going to look up at the screen and they're going to see that Fox graphic. If it's on Fox, I would think I would assume it is. And it's going to say Cowboys whatever and it's going to say Bills like 8-3. and three. And people are going to go, wow, the Bills are 8-3. and three. They're good. This is good. I'm excited for this game. People will probably be excited for Bills-Cowboys. Hey, the NFL and Fox, whoever makes the decision to schedule Thanksgiving... They're probably going to be impressed. They're going to be like, wow, look at the NFL. They knew the Bills are going to be good. Or Fox, whoever makes the decision. They knew the Bills are going to be good. Good job predicting that. Because now we got a good Thanksgiving game, which doesn't always happen. That's probably going to happen. Washington, Cleveland, who's a disaster right now. Miami, Denver. They might be starting Brandon Allen at that point. That's four games. If they're legitimately good, they probably win all four. So let's say they someone gets someone upsets them. Three and one, and boom, I'm eight and three going into that cowboy game. They should be at least eight and three going into that cowboy game. 
It's a fun season. It's an interesting season. But I'm not yet sold that this thing is going to be as good as it's looked so far for the next half decade. It's the Nightcap with Jody Biasi. A little bit on the opponent coming up and uh, some candy takes as well as tomorrow is Halloween here on WGR. Welcome back to the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. I'm going to talk some candy in just a little bit. First, though, let's get an update on the Bills' opponent, Washington Redskins, on Sunday. Good stuff from Craig Hoffman earlier with Shopin' the Bulldog. Covers the Redskins for 106.7 The Fan in D.C. Also a Radio.com insider. Speaking of D.C., the Nationals just got a hit. They have a man on first base. Top of the second inning, scoreless with Houston. Game 7 of the World Series. Um, they are scoreless, no outs. And if you're looking for that game, it's over on ESPN 1520. Now, though, an update on Washington from Craig Hoffman. Craig, do you go back? Craig Hoffman with us on the Western Hotline. Redskins beat reporter, 106.7 The Fan, and also with Radio.com. Do you go back to uh, the 03 skins? If I told you guys where I was in 03, you would hang up on me. <laughs> uh, you could hang up on like, us because we sound like we're a million years grade old. Grade school? Maybe. I was what I'm, what I'm uh, thinking, maybe. Yeah. <laughs> 13, that would have put me... I, I was 13 years old. I was being bar mitzvahed. All right. That's all right. Well, how about you, Joe? About the same? You were younger than that. Eight years old. Our producer was eight, so... Uh, <laughs> we're used to it. We'll we're hang up on it. him instead. Right, Craig. Oh, no yeah. worries. You know, Craig... Well, here, I'll, I'll really put the nail in the coffin. Uh, that was 03, and I turned 30 in February, and I was 13 then. So, I'm not, not even like I'm that young anymore. I'm almost 30. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Right, you can you just... We're cool. It, you just cut the crap now, man. <laughs> so... All right. You know, Craig, the, uh, the, the reputation of your team, like, it's just... It's it's not even interesting anymore as I see it. It's just sort of like always getting roughed up, and I understand why. I just wonder like how you see it. Because, you, you know, locally we all are a little bit less like that, I think, about about our teams, you know, just sort of want to defend them. And what, what do you think of how the Redskins are perceived? Yeah, there, there's very few people that will try to even defend them anymore. Um, the desire for change atop the organization is as strong as it's ever been. And that that I think people are resigned to the fact that Snyder is going to be the owner, and that has caused some apathy, which is a whole separate issue. Um, but even just getting the change at the team president level and, and moving Bruce Allen at least out of football operations, if not out of the organization entirely, is um, is really all Redskins fans want um, because they just assume that everything that they do is going to be wrong, and that's an assumption built on years of it happening. Where the, the places where Bruce Allen has interjected himself into the football operation has made the football team worse. Um, multiple quarterback decisions, this whole fiasco with Trent Williams. Like, everywhere that Bruce touches, things go poorly. And it's unfortunate um, on some level because there are a lot of other people in that organization who are very good at their jobs, who have done a lot of good things. But these are important pieces. Like, your Hall of Fame pieces, your quarterback piece, like, these are the most important things. These are the things that make you sustainably uh, viable to win over time. And They've screwed them up time and again, and that is that is the ultimate frustration uh, that this fan base has, and um, there's certainly no one in the media that, that is going to go out of their way to, to protect these guys and defend them because they treat us like crap. Uh, so there, there's, 
I don't get it. I don't get what they're doing. Um, I wish I had a better understanding to at least be able to give both sides of things, um, the criticism and the defense. But I, I, honestly, at this point, it's like, how do you try to even start to defend anything that they've done? Yeah. I, 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 what's your best guess as to why Bruce Allen still has the job? Is, is there some loyalty Snyder feels? Like, is he indebted to him for something? Like, what? How, how is it that, that you're still in this place? Like, what's your best guess at that? Uh, it is, I mean, it's really that Bruce does a good job with the audience of one. Like Bruce, the way Bruce run things is the way Dan has run his businesses forever. Um, he's shrewd. He is not, you know, he, he will take care of people. I, I think, you know, Snyder could have, could help his reputation by letting some of the good things he does for people out. Like he'll take care of employees and pay for things and, you know, fly this person to the, you know, family member's funeral, like he does all these kinds of things behind the scenes that he that never get out because he doesn't necessarily want them out. He's not doing them for the attention, which is great and all, but it also doesn't change the other hundred stories on the other side of the ledger where he's been terrible to people and treated them poorly and they don't pay employees well. And there's just all these things that um, Bruce is fine with. Bruce is more than fine with. It's also the way he does business. So um, it's it's hard to you know essentially look in the mirror and fire yourself, and that's what Dan would have to do to get rid of Bruce. It would have to acknowledge that the way that they've been doing things isn't the right way, and the way that he wants things done are, isn't right. The closest they've come is last year they brought in a new president of business operations, a guy from the league named Brian LaFamina, who changed a lot of things. All of a sudden, there was all this hope within the organization, at least on the business side, and, and the, like everyone was happier at work. They were con- reconnecting with the fan base. The image was starting to be remade a little bit, and then they blew those guys out eight months into the job, So um, Brian and his team. So, I mean, it's it's playing to an audience of one, and Bruce does that really, really well for his particular audience of one. With Craig Hoffman on the Bills' opponent, Washington, uh, this week, Mike Shope and the Bulldog on WGR. Another exciting twist today in the Trent Williams deal. He, of course, was not traded, and now he doesn't like his helmet. Is that what we have? <laughs> uh, I think that's that's oversimplifying it just a bit. Uh, the not liking his helmet, I would say, is, if I'm being honest, part of the plan. Yeah. Trent and this organization are locked in a bitter, bitter fight over basically his ability and right to play football. He feels like he was very wronged by the organization. They feel like they didn't do anything wrong, or if they did, they don't owe him anything for it. It's just part of the business. And so what Trent has tried to do is say, all right, fine, you're not going to trade me. Well, I'm going to come back and screw up your trade value because you thought I was going to stay out the entire year, and then you said you'd trade me. And all of a sudden he goes from having two years left on his contract to one, which completely affects his trade value. And so he came back and then was like, oh, this bothers my helmet or this helmet bothers mm-hmm. my head where I had the surgery that you guys screwed up. And so now you have to put me on IR. Well, they bailed him on the physical and that's their way of striking back. So um, I am awaiting uh, word from the league on exactly what recourse Trent has and what recourse they have and who gets what here. Um, and it's a lot of unknown right now, frankly. But yeah, that it is. This is the next step in a bitter, bitter battle between a 10-year veteran of an organization who, um, had he continued to play at the level he was, is probably headed to the Hall of Fame and an organization that, again, has screwed a lot of stuff up over the years. Was it just personal at this point that they didn't trade him, didn't want to give him what he wants because 
it seems like they could have done pretty well at any point here between June and now trading this player, um, even as late as yesterday. Um, so is it is is this uh, an example of Bruce Allen just, you know, the, the, the bad Bruce, not, not being the nice Bruce? Um, I think it's a matter of they never got the va- – like this is the nicest way I can phrase it. Um, they were, they never got the value they wanted at the time they wanted to do a deal. So they were finally open to doing a deal yesterday, but nobody wanted to give up a first round pick yesterday because for instance, the Browns have already seen their season go to hell. Like why would they trade for Trent now and give up a first round pick in a second straight year? Cause remember they already gave up their first for Odell. Mm-hmm. And, but if they could have done it in week two and saved their season, then they would have been apparently open to the idea for a report from Charles Robinson at Yahoo. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, they kind of, not kind of, they did, if they were in, actually interested in trading, screw this up because they sabotaged the value of the player by not dealing with teams when they wanted to be dealt with. And the why on that, I can't begin to tell you. A couple more quick things here with Craig Hoffman on Washington. Uh, I read from you today that Case Keenum is still out, and so Dwayne Haskins is taking all the reps that would maybe not lock, but close to it, the possibility of his playing in this game i would think and adrian peterson is practicing so um what do you think we'll we'll see haskins probably yeah i think that's where we're leaning right now um concussion protocol is always real weird so all of a sudden case could be clear tomorrow but Mm -hmm. the extremely limited amount of work he did today like that was telling to me like he was out there but he wasn't even taking backup reps he was taking the third reps um which which says that they're preparing colt mccoy to be the backup again this week um, and there's a whole other thing with Colt, you know, in the organization. They don't want him to dress at all, um, and all of a sudden he might be the backup. So I think if Case was remotely going to be available this week, he would have been out there. But Dwayne took the majority of the one reps, um, and, and is I think we'll probably do the same tomorrow. And at that point, do you really want to switch quarterbacks on Friday um, after you practice the entire week getting Dwayne ready? Mm-hmm. I do think it's it's going to be Dwayne. And then with Adrian, um, Bill actually misspoke at the podium. Um, Callahan has been terrible with injuries, and today was a new low. Um, he did not practice. He was out there, but he's gotten better in today's on Wednesday pretty quickly. So it's unsurprising, and I would expect to see him on Sunday. What's the backstory on they don't want McCoy to even dress? I mean, it's very rare that I ask one of our guests like you uh, <laughs> something about the backup quarterback, but, like, what's going on there? The short version that's reportable at this point is basically he is he was jay gruden's guy and it's oh. a spiteful thing to go back and jay and great this place is a mess it's it's just a joy to cover <laughs> wow craig <laughs> yeah, really so. hey are, are you critical of what they've done with haskins i mean this is tough when you've got the rookie quarterback in the first round and like he needs to play he plays on every team these days but with how he's looked i mean there's of course an argument that he shouldn't what what should happen that's it's a tough one. Um, I have been critical of it, it to this point. Like I think once they lost to the Patriots and fired Gruden, it was time you just put him out there and he learns from his mistakes. But the problem is, I don't know that he was ready to learn from his mistakes. Like he's really far behind, guys, and, and it's unfortunate because a lot of people knew that was the case coming in. It's why their plan was to essentially redshirt him. They also anticipated being good, which everyone in that building seems to leave out of that. You know, when they explain, oh, the plan was for him to redshirt. Yeah, you guys thought you were going to be a playoff team, but you're not. You stink. You're one in seven. Um, so I struggle.
struggle with this because I think it's to the point now that he really just needs to play because the speed of the game is what clearly bothers him the most. He just can't process it fast enough. And the more he's in it, the, the, the more comfortable it will become. The question is, does he really know enough to go out there and have a chance to succeed and to learn from his mistakes? And the answer earlier in the year, frankly, was no. And it's kind of impossible for me in my position um, to know that whether he's crossed that threshold and you know it's impossible on some level for the coaches to to cross to know if he's crossed that threshold um but there's only one way to find out and that's by putting him out there and, and seeing what happens you can always come back out um but I, I think that we're getting to the point that he just needs to play and, and suck up the experience and the other part of this is at one and seven who cares if they lose who cares if he throws five interceptions yeah it's not great um you'd like to win and you'd like to, to him for him to be awesome but um, it's not like you're going to make the playoffs. So if you lose, like, cool, you get a better draft pick. You can go draft Chase Young or Jerry Judy or um, whoever else you want that's not to attack of Iloa at the top of the draft because you're probably sticking with Dwayne. Right. Who? How? How is he handling all this? Like, how, what, what, what has Haskins' approach to all this been? It's, it's been interesting. I'll put it that way. Um, you know, I hate being body language doctor and stuff like that, but – he, there's certainly times where you're like, man, what's going on with that kid? But you get him to the side and you talk to him. And I, I'm consistently impressed when I get him in those situations. He doesn't really like doing the group media stuff, and I get that, especially right now. He's in a really tough spot. He's 22 years old. He played a single year at Ohio State. He's just not used to this kind of – like he's never had this kind of adversity. Um, you know, in two two years ago or two – starting years ago he's playing at bullis high school you know 30 minutes from where i'm sitting on my couch right now so it, it's something that he's gonna have to adjust to and at 22 like i'm i'm willing to give him that leash but what's clear in talking to him in those private one-on-one situations away from the scrum and the lights and the microphones and all that kind of stuff is he wants it like he wants it bad and i think part of it is he didn't really know how to get it earlier in the year he had to learn how to work at the NFL level. He's not one of these guys that that came inherently to the Russell Wilsons where you hear these stories of, um, you know, when he, like, for instance, this is a random story I know about Wilson because I used to work in Dallas and, and do some work covering the Rangers. But when the Rangers drafted him in baseball, John Daniels, uh, the, the Rangers GM, called Russell Wilson and kind of forgot about the time zone thing um, that he would be in Seattle on West Coast time and called him at like 7 a.m. So it's like 5 Seattle time. And Russell picks up the first on the first ring and is like, "Yeah, I'm just studying. You know, I'm just I'm in here watching film. Like you're good. You don't have to worry about calling me. Like that's not something that came inherently to Dwayne how to do it. And now that he's learned how to work, he can do the work. I think that's what we're kind of waiting to see is now that he knows how to do the work and he's doing the work, often the results. So, but if it happens here starts to really improve then great like he's improving as a rookie even if he's second year a guy like jared goff who came around it with a new coaching staff then that's fine too um but so far it's, it's definitely been a struggle i don't think he's handled it perfectly but i also I, I don't find it unacceptable the way he's gone about it considering how young he is and how inexperienced he is all right very nice insight here craig thanks a lot and if we uh see you on sunday we'll come say hello absolutely look forward to seeing you guys there he is, Craig Hoffman of 106.7 The Fan with Shope and the Bulldog. A little update on Washington there. There is uh, an update in the World Series. It is one nothing Houston after a home run in the bottom of the second inning. They also have men on second and third with two outs. George Springer is up to bat. That game's over on our sister, sister station, ESPN 1520. Elsewhere in the world of sports, if you're a basketball fan, 
Uh, one number one overall pick just made another number one overall pick tap. I'm not not kidding. <laughs> the basketball man, like it, it's fighting, I guess. So that it's not the same to, to make the point that like there's a lot more drama, a lot more interest in that in that regard in basketball. But Ben Simmons, the number one overall pick, I think from 2017, just made the number one overall pick from 2015. Carl Anthony Towns tap. Towns was like fighting Embiid, and Simmons put him in a headlock. So that's the that's what's going on in the NBA tonight. Former number one overall picks are fighting each other. Halloween's tomorrow. Today's Halloween Eve, if that's a thing. I'm making it a thing. Tomorrow's Halloween. I got some candy thoughts. Last year, I ranked candy. This year, I've got a top five underrated candies and top five overrated candies. That's after this on WGR. Last call on the nightcap with Joe DiBiase here on WGR. Finally, get to the thing I wanted to talk about all night. My five most overrated candies, my five most underrated candies. I am... I'm a nut. Alright? I used to eat a ton of candy as a kid. Halloween was one of my favorite holidays, if not my favorite holiday. Thanksgiving was up there. But it's right there. Just getting free candy. It's a great holiday. If you're especially if you're a kid. Just walk around. It's free candy. Awesome. So I got some thoughts. I got five overrated. I know that they're hot takes. But whatever. I don't care. Um before I do that though, real quick, tonight is the 45th anniversary of the Muhammad Ali George Foreman Rumble in the Jungle. Um from Zaire, Africa. And that is I'm a big boxing fan. I talk about it once in a while here on on, on the show, not a ton, because uh, I acknowledge I know at this point boxing is pretty much dead as a sport, um, at least it being a major sport. So I'm a big fan, and that is to me maybe the greatest sporting event just ever to watch. Like, it's got to be up there, one of the best sporting events ever. I might put it number one for me. Um, it's maybe. It's, it's certainly the number one. If I had to watch a sporting event from before I was born, that's what I'm going to. I've seen it multiple times. It's super entertaining fight. Just the mind games and the strategy involved and just the location and the all of it. It's just awesome. And there's a really good documentary on it. I think it's on HBO um, or maybe it's, it's on one of the, the, the premium channels there uh, that has a really good documentary on it. So tonight's the 45th anniversary of that. I just wanted to mention that. But anyways, Halloween is tomorrow. And um, that means we got to talk some candy here before we get out of here. Got about five minutes left. I got five overrated candies and five underrated candies. 555.50 to let me know what you think before I get out of here. I'm going to start with most underrated because I think those are going to be less controversial. Probably. Number one. Let's start at number five. Number five, most underrated candy. Heath Bar. You get the toffee. Great crunch. Texture. I'm a big texture guy. You got to have that crunch. Heath Bar has it. Score is also good. Not as popular. Tastes relatively the same. I'll take Heath, though. Number four, Airheads. Someone tried to come at me with, it's just mass-produced taffy. Not true. Airheads is better. That's that's Laffy Taffy. And if you're going to try to tell me that Airheads is the same thing as Laffy Taffy, you're mistaken. It's a little bit more sour going on there. Got to have that. Airheads, number four. 
most underrated candies. Number three, Rolo. Caramel. On its own, it's, it's simple. The shape. Love it. It's got its own unique feel, its own unique packaging. It's, it's, a, it's a roll. Rolo. Gotta love just the chocolate caramel. It's all you need. Number three. Number two is not really a Halloween candy. I actually mentioned it with uh, Matt Bovee in the first hour. Toblerone is number two. Again, you get a little toffee, good crunch, unique shape. You get the triangles. Comes in the comes in like the pyramid shape box. Toblerone, number two. Number one, 100 grand. Again, going for texture, going for crunch, caramel. Is it nougat in there? I don't even know what's in. It's, it's like a... It's like a Twix bar meets a, a Nestle Crunch. How could you possibly go wrong? Hundred grand, the number one most underrated candy in my record book. Most overrated candies. These are going to be controversial, I know. I'm not saying these aren't good. I'm just saying they're overrated. Number five, M&M's. Too simplistic. It's just chocolate. Now, I'm saying the plain M&M's. You want to give me peanut M&M's, peanut butter M&M's, caramel M&M's. I think peanut butter M&M's and caramel M&M's are the number one and two M&M's. Peanut, a close third. But plain M&M's, overrated. Number five. Number four, Butterfinger. It's just too, like, chalky. I feel like I'm eating, a, I feel like I'm eating chalk when I'm eating a Butterfinger. The taste isn't that bad. Once you chew it a little bit, it's all right. But not great. Not a big fan. Not a big fan of the Butterfinger. Number three, Snickers. Again, not saying that they're not good, but what, too too busy. Too busy. They're trying too hard with Snickers. It's just take five with a really good marketing team. That's what Snickers is. Number three. By the way, they tried to advertise it as a meal. Like, if I want a meal, I'll eat a meal. It's not what I'm eating a candy bar for. That's why there's too much going on in Snickers. Number two, Swedish Fish. They are just boring Sour Patch Kids. That's all they are. That's what a Swedish Fish is. One flavor, one variety. I know you can get the variety pack, but come on, who does that? Have you ever really seen a, a pack of Swedish Fish that has more than just the red? And they're fine. They're all right. They're just boring to me. I need, I need some flair. I need some excitement going on. When I'm, uh, when I'm eating candy. So I am not a big Swedish Fish fan. They are the number two overrated candy. And number one, I know this is controversial. I know this is a hot take. I don't care. Reese's is overrated. It is. There's not. There's no texture going on there. It's, too so it's just soft. And to me, it's not good unless it's refrigerated. And I know that's, only, that's probably only me in the entire world. But this is my list. And I'm not eating a Reese's if it's not if it's not refrigerated. If I'm going to the vending machine and I'm getting a candy bar, it's not refrigerated, so I'm not eating it. In fact, we have one at work here. I don't really often get candy out of it, but I'll go for the whatchamacallit before I go for the Reese's in there. So, come at me. At SneakyJoeWGR. I've been fending you off already, so I'm, I'm ready to go. Let's see. What do you got? Reese's, the number one overrated candy. All right. That's it for me. So thanks, everybody, for listening to the show tonight. I'll be back for a brief show tomorrow. 
uh, before we get you to Thursday Night Football, which will be here on WGR. NASCAR fans, and by the way, Thursday Night Football, which I mentioned before, is good. I like Cardinals, Ford, and Yires. I like, I like that game uh, for Thursday Night Football. So I'll talk to you tomorrow. And um, until then, if you're a NASCAR fan, stay tuned because you've got pit reporters on the way next. This has been the Nightcap with Jody Biasi here on WGR. How powerful is Cox Internet? Powerful enough to let your band members in Vegas, Phoenix, and Rhode Island jam like you're all in the same garage. Get Cox Internet powered by fiber with America's fastest download speeds. It's Internet built for tomorrow, today. Cox, always building better. Cox Internet is connected to the premises via coaxial connection. Speeds vary and are not guaranteed. Cox terms and other restrictions may apply. Analysis by Ucalypt speed test intelligence data. Fixed median download speeds. USQ3 2023.